0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Well, hello friends. Yeah, Nick here. We're going to be continuing our sermon series in encountering Jesus. And you know, going like a thread through all of these sermons is the premise that if you'd encountered Jesus, you would know it. Okay? And if you have a longing in your heart to encounter him more, well, guess what? He wants to rise up and meet that. Before we get to the word for today, I just want to honor dads. I know we've already done that. Um, in a second, dads, I'm going to ask you to stand and there's going to be riotous cheering and whooping for you. <laughs> I was out surfing the other day with a couple of mates and, and I, just, I was left at the end of it thinking, man, dads are so beat down. So much of the time dads are beat down. But I want you guys to know that you are the unsung heroes of our society. I, I truly believe that. Sometimes the rarely sung or the softly sung or maybe the death metal sung heroes, but either way, you're heroes. Would you stand? We're going to whoop it up for you. Come on, dads. Come on. Come on, you dads. Come on. Here we go. We've got some dads down here. You guys are awesome. And hey, uh, I'm wondering, are there any dads who are first time Father's Day dads in the house here today? Anyone? Is there any first-time dads? Stand up if that's you. We're going to embarrass you right now. They might not be here. They might be out in the tent. You guys, welcome to Father's Day. Of course, I'll be peppering today's sermon with uh, many, many dad jokes, which are always hilarious, especially on Father's Day. (laughs) Hey dads, you know, uh, we want to honor you, but we also want to come alongside you and support you and help train you. We've got this great ministry here at North Coast Calvary called 3M, Right for the uh, sorry four M for the fourth Musketeer, yeah four M you know like uh, touche on your guard ha ha you know like the is it just me has anyone seen the movie read the book Alexandre Dumas there we go I see a hand yeah it's a great book and uh, but anyway uh, so this is a, a ministry for men and to help us be better men to help us be better fathers there's four kind of pillars for it. Um, and they have small groups, they have these weekends away called uh, character challenges, extreme character challenges, where they go away like iron on iron, so one man sharpens another, they'll jump off cliffs, they'll you know, go down whitewater rafting, that sort of thing. But here's the four pillars that they go around, that, that a, a man brings into the home, moral authority. A godly man who's focused on the Lord will bring moral authority into the home, he confers identity, of course the mother does. But dads, that calling, that's a very high calling. A father also brings security for the home. And he also calls forth potential out of the kiddos in the home. And we're not in any way diminishing the mum's wonderful roles in that. But dads, you have a, a key role, and we want to speak into that. We want to encourage you in that. It always strikes me as ironic that, that as men, we'll spend years sometimes training for our vocation, but we just rock up on the wedding day and, and get married, and then whoops-a-daisy, there comes a kid, and we just think, we'll just roll with it. We can be a little more proactive than that. We can encourage each other better than that. So guys, the uh, Rick is out there. He's going to be out in the courtyard to answer any questions about it. All the links are online. It's a great great uh, part of our church and we love it so be about that. So we're coming into uh, another sermon on encountering Jesus, the real Jesus. There's a lot of Jesus out there, a lot of them we kind of make up, we make up up our own little personal Jesuses because that's it's a lot safer isn't it to have our own Jesus, the one that we've made, the one who doesn't really challenge us But I don't think we have that option, friends. I think he's way more radical. I think he's way more mind-boggling than we would like to admit. I've called today's sermon Deadhead, the suffering, sovereignty, and spin-outs of Jesus. Now, I did a straw poll. Deadhead is an American term. I just figured all Americans would know it. But out the back, the guy said, I don't know what that means, and, and so on. But so deadhead has two meanings. One and I'm looking at Janelle, she knows what a, there's a deadhead where you get a free ride. So on an airplane or at a concert or something like that, someone else pays your way. Oh, that's interesting. Because all of us are deadheads in one way or another. So maybe you're that kind of deadhead. You allow for someone else to pay the price for you. Oh, we'll come back to that. Or you can be the other kind of deadhead because it means two things, as often slang terms do. It means someone who's a fool. Someone who just shoves their head further and further into the sand. So we're going to get to decide today what kind of deadhead we're going to be. Because when you come to Jesus, the reality is that like all relationships we have, familiarity can lead to contempt. It can. You know the married couples. You don't really like hanging out with them because they just don't seem to like each other. Familiarity can lead to contempt, no question, but the good news is that familiarity with people and including the Lord himself can, if it's matched with curiosity and awe, can lead to deep intimacy and you can guess which one I'm going to suggest. Why don't you grab your Bibles and open them up or look on the screen, pick up your smartphone, and uh, that way you can sit there and you can text your friends and do Facebook and it looks like you're, you know, you're in the house of God, aren't you so awesome? Hey, um, we're going to be in Revelation um, about halfway through and uh, what was it, Alexander Pope said fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Yes, we're going to look at Revelation today and the controversial bits, oh juicy, juicy, don't worry about it, we may get to it or not, we'll see how we go. We're going to pick it up here in verse 9 of um, Revelation 1. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's Day, that Sunday, when the early Christians uh, memorialized Jesus rising from the dead, so just like here we are, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said... And it said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Remember that phrase. We're going to come back to that phrase. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. He held stars in his hand, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, dead head. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades God, as we come to your word today, I ask that you would help me and you would help those of us who can feel at times a little jaded, like we know everything, nothing to learn. We've walked with you so long. Lord, give us fresh perspective. We want to encounter you. We don't want to just do what we've always done, Lord. We want to be in this living, vibrant relationship with you. And Father, for those who are here those dear ones who are here today and they've never encountered you, Lord. I ask it that you would rise up and meet them in that. If they want to, Lord, that you would make yourself available, that you would meet with them and let them encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, have you ever lost your memory? You know, maybe a car accident or a concussion. I've been concussed a bunch of times. Both my brain cells run around, knock into each other and fall over backwards. One time, I woke up, and uh, I had to extrapolate what was going on. I saw a motorbike wrapped around a tree. I didn't know it was my motorbike. As it happens, it was my new motorbike. And there was a girl, a young woman, sitting by the road, weeping. I didn't know at the time. She was my cousin, because like I said, I was totally blanked out. I didn't know who I was, where I was. I literally knew nothing. And we're in the middle of nowhere, in kind of like a, a wilderness, you know, And I I said to her, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, look, I guess I better go for help. And and is there a homestead around here? And she looked at me weird and like pointed. Because the farm at that point had been in my family for almost 100 years. But I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. Didn't know anything. So I start running up the road to go and get help. And as I'm running up the road, waves of memory started coming back over me. I remember, hey, I'm Nick Gilmore. And that's a mixed bag. Some good, some bad. But like, okay, all right running along. And then I remembered I'm dating this chick called Verity Snook, right? So awesome. Her name is Verity Snook. You guys know her as V, my wife of over 25 years, right? But I'm like, oh yeah, I'm dating Verity Snook. and I'm stoked about that. And then I, I can literally tell you where on the road going up to the farm it was, that I, I stopped and I remembered that two weeks from that date, I was about to get married to her. I literally like, yeah, I'm shouting at the sheep and the cattle and I'm like, woohoo! hoo And I remembered this awesome stuff that was going on. What I want to, as we come to this passage, John wasn't a stranger to Jesus. He was a beloved disciple. He was a guy who had walked closely with Jesus, perhaps more closely than anyone else on earth he'd been with Jesus all throughout his ministry he'd seen the miracles that Jesus did he'd he'd sat there and listened to his teaching he even went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with James his brother and Peter they saw Jesus like somehow transformed and his face shining like the the sun and and there was the the resurrected Elijah and the resurrected Moses symbolising the the law and the prophets and Jesus of course the fulfilment of all of them and then he'd seen Jesus die on a cross. He was right there, literally beneath him as he died on the cross. Then he met Jesus after he'd been resurrected and he saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And then 50 years goes by and he's been walking with Jesus this whole time. And yet he was still blown away by Jesus. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how jaded you feel, the humdrum kind of meh Christianity that you're walking in, Jesus has more for you. Friends, he has so much more. And this is good news. How does the passage begin? He says, I John, your brother and companion in the Lord. And I I love this, right? He doesn't say, look... Yea, verily the apostle, apostle hath spake, listen in. He doesn't say that. He could have. By now, all the other disciples have been killed. James, his brother, killed with a sword, Peter crucified upside down, John in uh, rather, um, uh, Paul in A.D. 67-68 killed in Rome. He's the last one left. This is like A.D. 94-95. He's the last one. He's the last one on earth. I tell you what, if there was a dude on earth who had sat there and listened to Jesus and talked with him face to face, I would buy a plane ticket. I would go and see that person. I'd say, what was it like? Like sitting around the campfire, what were the jokes like? <laughs> what was it like when he did that crazy thing and he fed all those thousands of people? What was it like? He doesn't speak to them as an overlord. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you what. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm I'm your servant, I'm your companion, I'm your brother. The highest accolade in scripture that can be said of a person is that they're a servant of the Lord. Servant leadership. Look around in our day and age. Do you see much servant leadership going on? One thing's for sure. Any mature Christian who's been walking with with the Lord will get more and more humble the more they walk with him. Any Christian leader worth following... Will be marked by humility. I mean, go and test it, check it out for yourself. But you will notice in their life, in their words, in their demeanor. They'll come into a room and they'll say, Hey, what can I do to help? They won't come in and, and say, I'm here. Why don't you shush down, shush the shusha? Let me speak to you. That's not how it works. Here, John approaches them. Those Christians, this was going to be read out in the home churches, the book of Revelation. Through those churches and, and elsewhere that, were, that I read out before, he comes in humbly and he comes in and what is he their companion in? He's their companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. Let me just say, and this is going to get a little uncomfy, I'm not going to lie, we do not really like this. In the Western church, we've got a very poor theology of the kingdom, a very poor theology of suffering. We, Western Christians, we are a, I'm going to call us a historical and a geographic anomaly when it comes to suffering. We're like the, the kid the, who just sits there all flabby on the couch playing Nintendo, chowing down donuts. I'm not against donuts. By the way, buy your dad a donut. But, but the point being, like that's spiritually what we're like. But did you know today... Literally today, I know this because me and my team, we stay in contact with all of our partners around the world. They are undergoing dire sufferings right now. It's every four seconds that someone is killed because they follow Jesus. Every four seconds. Think about that. Friends, we have a poor theology of suffering. And as I said before, I'm not suggesting that we pursue suffering. I'm not saying that we do that, but I'm saying let's live soberly in light of that. What would it look like for you to live more radically for Jesus? you ever seen that t-shirt? If you're not living on the edge, you're probably taking up too much space. It's real. It's real when it comes to spirituality. I'm not saying you go out and you be a moron and seek persecution, but I'm saying what would it look like for you to live a little more radically Uncomfortable moment coming up. What about without giving? What would it look like for you to give until it hurts? Financially, I'm talking about actual dollars and cents. Yes, in church we're talking about money. How rude. <laughs> what, what would it look like to double, triple, quadruple your giving? Seriously, till it really, really hurt. I've got mentors and they just increase their giving until it hurts. 30, 40, 60, 80% of their gross income until it really bites Maybe that's not you. Maybe it is you. What about giving away your life? Living radically for others rather than self, rather than a locus being on self, everything coming around to you. What would it be like giving a life away more for Jesus, serving more for Jesus? And yeah, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he also says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He's not going to burn you out that's not what he's like but what would it be like following him radically what would it be like radically sharing Christ with your neighbours and your friends and the guys at work you know those guys they're going to they'll probably diminish you they'll probably gossip about you oh you quaint little Christian you know medieval beliefs all that sort of stuff but I tell you what if you continuously love them pour love out on them compassion, mercy be someone of integrity someone who doesn't gossip Guaranteed, when the poo hits the fan for them, you know who they're coming to. You know who they're coming to, right? What would it look like for you to live these kingdom values, to understand suffering, not to seek it out, but to pursue God until it hurts? What would it look like? It's different for every person. What about patient endurance? There's a theologian called R.H. Charles he was writing over 100 years ago. He's now with the Lord face to face. But he talks about this. And where it says here, patient endurance, that, we are, that, that um, John is our companion in, he, he talks about the spiritual alchemy that transmutes suffering into royal dignity. How's that for a sentence? Oh, my gosh. They knew how to write back then. <laughs> wow. We somehow feel that our lack of substance can be made up for by our sheer volume of words right now in our day and age. If you haven't noticed these guys, man, think about that. What does endurance look like? It's the spiritual alchemy that transmutes changes suffering into royal dignity. Think about that. This is what John is is telling his people to do. And where is he? He's on the island of Patmos. Can I? Have a, there's a picture of Patmos, I think, and come up on. Okay, here we are. Wow, beautiful. It's this little Greek island, as in literally the Greeks own this island now, right? And uh, from one end, it's, I think it's uh, six miles by seven miles, at least on Google Maps, best as I could tell. It's just 40 miles off the, uh, the mainland of what is now modern-day Turkey. But it was used as a, as a penal colony. They would send out there those who were enemies, so called, of Rome. Like I said, John's the last of the disciples left. All the others have been killed. He's the last one left. He's sent out there because he's being a serial pest. All right? To Domitian, the Roman emperor, who's a nasty, nasty guy. Most of them were nasty. He was nasty more than most. Throwing Christians to lions, having them chopped in half—they weren't quite being burned at the stake yet—but he was, uh, and he, this guy would just not shut the heck up about this Jesus dude. He wouldn't stop talking about the mercy and the love of Jesus. That Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. The Roman Emperor is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He just wouldn't shut up about it. So, So they shoved him out on this island. And he's there, and he's writing, and he and he writes this this letter to all the all the churches. As uh, as the uh, revelation was handed around to the churches, it, the reason those churches are named there that didn't exhaust the amount of churches that was going on. But that's the the route that someone would have taken if they were riding on a donkey or walking and gone out to the churches, the home churches, and encouraged them to give them life and hope and peace. And here he is on the Lord's day, and it says. He's in the Spirit. Now, I know I can't get through talking about Revelation without dealing with the controversial parts. Um, and, And sorry if you're new to the whole church thing, please forgive me, but for 60 seconds we're going to dork out. And especially those Christians who love controversies, I'm only giving you 60 seconds. It's more than you deserve, actually, more than I deserve. But here's what we're going to say. There's different ways to interpret Revelation. Was the vision that John wrote about, was it literal? Was it figurative? My answer is, I don't know. There's different lenses through which you can look at what's called um, apocalyptic scripture, scripture that deals with the end of the world, or eschatology, which means theology of the last things. So Revelation is an example of it, the second half of Daniel, Ezekiel, there's Matthew 24, there's bunches of scriptures in it, right? And you can choose... You can choose the lens you want to look at it through. There's what's called the preterist lens, and they say, well, all of the stuff that happened in Revelation happened to those in the first century church. Some people believe that. Some people are futurists who say, no, 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 apart from the first three chapters, everything else after that is what happened after now. Like as in literally after the 21st century, what's going to happen in the future for us? There's these people who are called historicists who kind of say, no, 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 it's the early church, plus it's the last 2,000 years, plus it's everything in the future, kind of like a grab-all thing. And then there's those who are idealists, and their lens, they say, no, 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 this is all just symbolic, about the ancient fight between good and evil. It's all, this, it's all figurative. okay. And I'd say, you can believe anything like that, any one of those, or a hybrid of those, and, and be welcome here at North Coast Calvary. This is a big tent. We're not threatened by your views, the weird ones, the good ones, the in-between ones. We're not threatened. We love it. And if you have any questions on that, you can email me. And it's Ryan P at <laughs> NorthcoastCalvary.org, okay? And, uh, and ask me anything you want about it. But the point, is, the point is this. There's a guy who wrote a great book called Simon Ponserby, and the name of the book is And the Lamb Wins. And he looks at every controversy to do with the end times and, and uh, that Uh, branch of theology. He says, there's this, whether it's the tribulation or the role of Israel or the millennium or any of these crazy things that Christians spend too much time arguing about. He says, there's this position, this one and this one. Um, This is my position. Here's the weaknesses in my argument. In the end, the lamb wins. By the way, there's this other one over here, this one and there's this position, this one and this one. Um, Here's my position, here's the weaknesses and in the end it doesn't matter because the lamb wins so I don't agree with all these conclusions but I love that guy's methodology and so that's the little bit um, for the dorky Christians out there, <laughs> choose what you want, in the spirit, was it figurative was it literal, I don't know and he says, send this out to the seven churches, all that comes rest uh, throughout the rest of Revelation. And then we get to the part that I've been trying to get to, right? So just pop down. I've been trying to get to it. Okay. Is this vision of Jesus? Oh my gosh. He turns around and, and he sees someone who's like the son of man. Now this is Jesus' favorite self-designator, right? The son of man. And it's a ambiguous phrase it's more than an ambiguous phrase it's an equivocal phrase Jesus is a little mysterious he's a little cheeky actually in a good sense is he a son of man like a human it means literally a human but it also means more than that some of you guys know where I'm going in one of the eschatological texts one of the texts about the end times in the book of Daniel written 700 years before John is stuck out on Patmos Daniel writes this down. It's a vision that he had, and he and he's been having this vision about the Ancient of Days, capital A, capital D, who is the Lord Most High. Nothing can stand before him. Everyone falls down before the Ancient of Days. He has hair white like wool. Another image that comes up a little later, right, in John, uh, that John wrote down, and he. But he says this in my vision at night. I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now, this part of Daniel was written in Aramaic. It literally means human, but that's not all that it means. Coming, the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, so they're different. And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. There's only one person in the universe here is due worship. There is only one person in the universe that can withstand worship. It is a curse to every other person. Just ask a celebrity. Just ask a woman that's been put up on a pedestal by her boyfriend. It's a curse. There's only one person in the universe that can withstand worship. That's God himself. This son of man is God himself. His dominion, the Son of Man, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This Son of Man, this is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He was a man. He ate, he slept, he cried, he laughed. Yes. He was also the Messiah, the one who was promised that would come, that would lead to freedom. And he was also God Himself. Because the term Messiah and God, they they, they don't necessarily correlate. He was also God Himself. And some of you are thinking, but hang on, doesn't mean the ancient of days is God or the Son of Man is God? My answer is yes. Can I tell you? Can I? explain for you I mean I could I could talk at you for an hour and a half about the Trinity until your ears bleed but I still don't think we would understand it we could pursue it for our whole life and I don't think we'd understand it but here's here's the reality if you could explain everything about God if you knew everything about God you had him in your little box honestly would he really be worth your worship if he is God, I think he is. But if he's Lord at all, he's Lord of all, he's bigger than your understanding, he's bigger than my understanding. Let's look at the description just, just quickly because it's kind of mind-boggling. It says that this, this son of man, he is royal. He has a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. This is a... This is a symbol for the, he is the high priest, the, capital T, the high priest. He's also royal, a man of high standing. This is also the one who was the person of Jesus. He's also the high priest. He's the Lord. Jesus brings together many things that that are a paradox that we don't understand. A couple of pages after this, it says of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says of himself that, that he is the Lamb who was slain, and also, he is the line of Judah. At the same time, it's literally a sentence away from each other in the fifth chapter. Can I have that picture up of the little lammy? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Such cuteness. You know, on the farm growing up, when the the ewes when they often would die in childbirth, we'd have a dozen or fifteen of the of the lambs we would have to feed them have you ever fed the lamb with a bottle oh, it's pretty cool do it with your kids it's amazing right Jesus is the lamb who was slain in the Old Testament if I sinned I would get my best lamb whatever it was maybe it had three legs and one eye but it's my best it's the best that I've got I bring it to you if you're the high priest and you sacrifice the lamb that takes away my sin so the problem is that I keep on sinning problem is I would need like a a gigantic mountainside covered in sheep just like each day let alone I'd have to bring them to you every five seconds right (laughs) Jesus is the lamb who was slain he was the perfect one he was the one who came down to earth he lived a perfect life even his closest mate said no deceit is found in him He's the only righteous one, the only kind one. Because he lived this perfect life, he went and he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, and he took your sin and he took my sin. He took our shame. Hello, God, you talking to me? Something? Do you want me to really share that? Really? Okay, sorry, I've got to do it. <laughs> Jesus took our sin and he finished with it. He finished with our sin once and for all, it says in Hebrews. And he rose again from the dead. He is the lamb who was slain. And yet, he's also the lion of Judah. Can I have up that other photo? Thanks, friends. Okay, the lion. Okay. Whoa, look at those eyes. You know what those eyes are saying? I eat you. (laughs) I think the person who took this photo was either like had a big telephoto lens or was literally in the lion's stomach, you know. And hey, it's Father's Day, so I'm allowed one Father's Day joke, all right? Um, you heard about the, and, and there's a missions pastor, I get a kick out of this one. You heard about the, the missionary and the local who are walking across the African veldt, and they come and they see a lion, they freeze in their tracks. And the local sits down immediately, takes out of his knapsack two Nike runners, and starts putting them on his feet. And the missionary's like, dude, what are you doing? You can't outrun a lion? And the local goes, I don't got to outrun a lion. I'm just going to outrun you. <laughs> right. Anyway, but the line is there. The line of Judah. But look at those eyes. Look at, look at those eyes. Like I've said, the, uh, the hair on his head was white like wool. This is the Jesus thing. But this part here, and this reminds me, these eyes remind me of this. The eyes were like blazing fire. Seeing through all of our subterfuge, all of our fakeness, all of our camouflage, all of our junk, all of our crud, all of our mark he sees it. He knows it. This is who Jesus is. Have you encountered him? Because we can let familiarity breed, to breed contempt, right? Oh, yeah, just Jesus, little Jesus with his stuff and his, it's in the thing and I'm all right. Do you really know that he sees every single thing that you've ever done? Yeah, even that thing. Actually, that one too. He, he's seen that oh my gosh, this is heavier than I thought. He sees everything. This description, as it keeps on going, and can I have up, there's that picture of um, the Ethel Brown painting. Um, of This is, oh look, it's Jesus is a bit of a blob. Um, but is this what it looked like? I don't know. John there is sort of wizened and old. He's looking less first century Palestinian than one would have thought. But... There he is, and he's old, but did Jesus look like that? You can just see him as a blob, but he's looking a little bit Norwegian, probably more Norwegian than Jesus actually was, I don't know. Was it like this? I don't know. I just don't know, but his feet were bronze, like bronze glowing in a furnace. And most theologians think this is like the Jesus who comes, and with his feet he stamps on oppression, he stamps on injustice. We remember Father's Day today. Dads, I love you. We also remember Juneteenth yesterday when the last of the slaves found out that they were freed from slavery. We also remember World Refugee Day today. Those who are fleeing in terror. Some people closing their doors, closing their hearts to them. These who are fleeing persecution. Did you know your church is loving all of the above caring for all of the above you're doing it friends Jesus is coming he's going to stamp down injustice he's going to stamp down unrighteousness he's going to stamp down impurity that that's what this is symbolizing and his voice is like the sound of rushing waters I don't know what that sounds like but I have an inkling So many years ago, my wife and I were on the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia, is the Zambezi River, which falls off uh, Victoria Falls. And depending on your vantage point, Victoria Falls in full flood is either the most awesome thing that you've ever seen or it's terrifically frightening. That's just like Jesus. I don't know what... A voice that sounds like rushing waters sounds like. In his right hand he held seven stars, which we find out later are the angels, symbolic of the angels that care for these churches. Out of his mouth was coming a sharp double-edged sword. The word of God, it is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword and it will penetrate you if you let it. It will divide your soul and your spirit and your joints and your marrow and it will, it shall, judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. This... This is that sword. Is it symbolic, literal? I don't know. But the point is that Jesus sees straight through you. Jesus sees straight through us. He knows us. He judges all. He is the righteous one. He is the crazy one. He is the one. We can't even look at his face because it's bright, shining like the sun. When I was a kid, I used to look at the solar eclipses through the welding mask. Apparently, you're not meant to do that. Don't do that, okay? Don't come to me with burnt out you know, retinas and tell me it was my fault. Apparently, don't do it. okay? But it's the only way you can look at the sun. You can't even look at it. It's so bright. It's so astonishingly powerful. You cannot even look upon it. And what does John do? John says, when I saw him, I fell down and so dead. I fell down. I was so shocked. In awe, I didn't want. Even... This is someone who knew Jesus. He'd walked with Jesus. 70 years, 75 years. He already falls down to so dead. Friends, do you have a hunger to encounter Jesus like that? Or is it a bit kind of meh? I've already done it back there. I'm just getting on with things. I come in, I check off church, and I check off, uh, going to give a little bit and love someone here or there, tick. you know. Do you want to encounter the risen Jesus I love what Jesus says next. I guess he reaches down, John's on the floor. He reaches down, puts his hand on his shoulder. He says, Don't be afraid. I mean, it's ironic, right? Given what Jesus has just appeared like. And it's ironic given what Jesus is just about to say, actually. Don't be afraid. Brian McMaster, who was playing guitar here before he spoke at Christian Surfers last week, and he, and he pointed out how ironic it is that the one being in the universe, the one person in the universe who we should fear, Scripture continually tells us, don't fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Oh, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Be strong and courageous. Don't give in to fear. I'm with you. Constantly throughout Scripture. How can, that, how, can the, how can that paradox be allowed to exist? Because Jesus is the lion. Yea, verily he is. He is also the lamb who is kind and loving and cares for you and wants to bring you close and wants to take you in. And the next part that he says is definitely a reference. There's no getting around it to him being the Lord of all you notice it says I'm the first and the last capital, capital I'm the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end from ancient times what is still to come I say my purpose will stand and I can do all that I please only God can say that I was dead and now look I'm alive forever and ever not like those stupid idols that you guys worship not like those pagan idols those stones and those bits of wood Not like in our day and age. Not like the sex, money, power, fame. Not like the dumb stuff that we worship. It'll keep you going for five minutes. Not even. Knock yourself out. Climb to the top of the financial tree. Become as famous as you like. Have 8.3 gazillion followers on Instagram. Get there and find out you'll be desperately unhappy. They're just stupid idols. They're dead idols. He's the living one. And he holds the keys of death and Hades. In a second, we're going um, to sing together. When I say we, I mean you guys are going to sing. Me, um, I'll hum, because it's not edifying for the people around me when I sing. Okay, But we're going to do that. And as we do that, there's going to be a moment for those of us who you've been dragged here by a well-meaning but a little bit annoying friend Okay, they love Jesus. You put up with them, okay? Sorry about that, but you know they love you. You know they really do, right? It's going to be an opportunity for you if you want to encounter the risen Jesus for the first time, Are well, you're going to be able to do that. He's a lamb, He is kind, He is loving, He has plans for you. He doesn't want you to, to live in that place of woundedness and brokenness. He has such amazing things for you. And there's also going to be a moment for those of us who have reached the kind of meh situation. I'm just, yeah, I might have experienced Jesus back there, but I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm just going through the motions now. Friends, he doesn't want you to be in that place. He wants you to have a new and fresh and amazing revelation of who he is. So mates, let's stand up and let's sing. And as we do that, I want you guys to think about that. Which of those categories are you going to fall into? What kind of deadhead are you going to be? Someone who walks in the fullness of this free gift of eternal life that God has got for you? Or someone who shoves your head down further into the sand? I'd like us all, out of respect, even if you're not into the whole Jesus thing, to join us in just closing our eyes, bowing our heads. Because I believe that there's people here today who for the first time want to experience this Jesus. And if you haven't experienced that before and you want to say, yes, Lord, I've fallen short of your love. I've fallen short of that. But I want to experience you and I want you to be my Lord. And right now, I'd invite you to put your hand in the air while all the eyes are bowed, heads are bowed, and eyes are closed. I'd like you to put your hands up now if you want to receive Christ, receive the freedom of Christ. I see that hand there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. I see you, sir. Thank you. I see you, sir, in the middle here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand, ma'am, over there see you and you can look up at me as as you do it so I can see you seeing me, seeing you thank you Jesus sir I see your hand thank you friends I'm going to pray for these dear ones who have said that today and then I'm going to pray for the rest of us so would you join me Lord I thank you for these friends today Who said yep I don't understand everything I can't understand everything about you Jesus but I want to experience you I want to experience life in you goodness in you wholeness in you and Lord they are saying they have fallen short Lord we all have fallen short of your glory and we want to be dead heads in the right sense Lord those who get a the free gift of eternal life, the free ride, as it were, Lord. On your coattails, you're the one who paved the way. So thank you for these friends. And friends, if that was you, you put your hands up. Please, could you come and tell our prayer team at the end? They would love to pray with you and get you connected for next steps. And for the rest of us, friends, maybe you're in that place of being jaded Maybe you're in that place of thinking, I've had it all and there's no more. But God is saying to you this morning, you can experience more. That hunger that you feel in your heart, that existential hunger that you feel, He wants to satisfy. He wants you to experience Him in goodness. And if that's you today, and you have a longing in your heart to experience more of God, I ask you to put your hands in the air right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for my friends who are hungering for more. Lord, I'm hungering for more. I'm dissatisfied, Lord. I want to experience you and your goodness. I want you to take me to that place of radical sacrifice. I want you to be the one that I live for. Father, I I never want it to grow old. I don't want to get to my deathbed and think that I... I could have lived 1% more for you. I want to live totally for you. So Lord, thank you that you call us into that relationship. And Father, I especially pray a blessing over my friends this week, Lord, that they would experience you and see you in new and fresh ways in their meditation times. Lord, as they're walking the beaches, they're swimming. Lord Jesus, As they're reading your word, as they're talking with others, they would experience you in a a new and in a fresh way, Lord. That is life-giving, I especially pray, a blessing over the dads, Lord. We're made in your image, God. You are the lion and the lamb. Help us to be both the lion and the lamb in the right places, Lord. To be the lion out with the world and to be the lamb caring for our wives and our kiddos. Lord soft and tender and then bold and strong so thanks that we can have a moment here with you we love you Lord and we pray this in your name amen now men I know that you want to be about the task of finding out more about the 4M ministries those guys are going to be out in the courtyard they'd love to meet with you and the stuff is online hey be blessed and we'll see you soon Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.